Hello and welcome. My name is Courtney Whitney. I'm a tenacious follower of Jesus, an army wife, and a mother to six precious souls, two of whom came to a special delivery from China. We own a big red van that carts our tribe around. On this podcast, we explore stories of ordinary people living bravely. We're so glad you've joined us for this conversation from the BRV. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Susie Legal here um, on my podcast this week. I'm very excited to have her. I don't know Susie really all that well. I mean, we've met maybe a couple times at church when we've been visiting um, in Lansdale. But so she's the friend of my in-laws, Henry and Ginny Whitney. And I'm looking forward to hearing, uh, I've only heard bits and pieces of her story. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the, well, uh, adoption story and you've had multiple adoptions am I correct yes Susie? not multiple adoptions so yes. so Susie I just want you to introduce yourself and um, where you live and married and how many kids and just kind of give me the lowdown on your day-to-day life okay well um, I am living in Lansdale Pennsylvania which is right outside of Philadelphia I grew up in Philadelphia but went to school in Western Pennsylvania, Grove City College. And uh, there I met my husband. Uh, he was from New Jersey. So we're both kind of East Coast people. Uh, lived out in uh, Western Pennsylvania for a period of time after we graduated college and then moved East in order to be closer to the uh, grandparents and as we had children. Um, we had 10 children. Uh, we had three uh, biological children and seven adopted children. Uh, the adopted children uh, came to us at various ages and um, they uh, were, most of them were considered special needs adoptions, although many of them outgrew those situations that caused them to be called that. And uh, we are also um, a uh, interracial family because uh, uh, many of the adoptions were also transracial adoptions. And um, so right now, um, my husband and I are both uh, Christian school educators. I'm head of school at Philmont Christian Academy, and he is uh, a teacher there and also uh, part of the development uh, team. And he does the dramas. So uh, we've been there for 30 years Many of our kids went there. The ones who were able to receive uh, an education from there went there. Um, so that, that's a little bit about where we are now. Actually, we have two other children under our roof right now, and they are two of our 10 grandchildren. Um, their mom was our youngest adoption, and she struggles with addictions. And so we are raising the children okay. um, because she's not able to at this time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Susie, I feel like you just filled us in on a whole lot of things. I love that. Thank you. I didn't realize you were, um, you know, the head of the school at the, and that, you know, you guys did the private school thing and that's a long time, three decades of educating in a private school. That's awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. All right. Well, uh, you said you had three biological children and so, um, how now I'm assuming they're grown and gone. Am I right or not? Everybody. Yeah, everybody's in their 40s and 30s now. Okay. So Okay. 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 Good to know. So back when you decided um that you and Will were gonna 
decide to adopt? What made you decide to do that? Like, why did you want to go that direction? Um, my husband's a great journaler. And uh, so he says that he has journals from when we were dating that said we talked about adopting. Um, I don't specifically remember that, but I do remember growing up thinking that I really wanted to adopt when I got married someday. Um, I read books about it, you know, stories that were had to do with orphans and adoption. Um, I'm also just a, a great champion of the underdog, uh, just generally in my life. And so I think it was kind of a natural thing for us to go that direction. Um, after we got married, we waited a little while. We were young when we got married. We were 20. Uh, which is unheard of nowadays. Um, but we, uh, we, I was finished college and he had one more year to go and uh, we, got, we got married. So we waited a little while before we had children and we had our first. And then um, we started looking into adoption and uh, we were living in Western Pennsylvania. And so there wasn't a great deal of adoption going on, at least from what we could see. Um, and then as we were kind of getting close and we had started our home study and things like that, um, I got pregnant for the second time and the uh, social worker said, okay, that's it. Uh, you can't adopt um, at this point in your life. You have to wait until the baby that you're going to have is six months old. I don't know what was magical about that. I think they were just trying to make sure that we weren't taking on too much and then possibly disrupt the adoption. I, I can understand that. But we were we were certain this was something we wanted to do. And so the day he turned six months old, I called and said, okay, let's get going on the on this. And so then we adopted um, our, our first uh, our son um, after and he came to us. He was a little bit older than our oldest child, uh, but that was still like three. <laughs> yes. So, you had small people. <laughs> was three, and our daughter was three. And then our son was about, uh, I don't know, what was he about 18 months old, maybe something like that, maybe a little younger. Um, and then after that, we, um, we just kind of continued on. So he was African-American. And so uh, we had promised that we would adopt more than one African-American child so that this poor child would not be just this anomaly within yes. a family. Oh, so, sure. uh, we were definitely considering doing that. At that point, we moved back east and my husband was in seminary. And so we said, this is not a good time to adopt. We need to wait. Um, we had a nice apartment, but it was a limited apartment. Um, we also uh, had taken in his brother. His brother is 16 years younger than him and uh, was struggling. Um, and, and so we agreed with his mom that we would sort of foster care him for a while uh, to help her out. And um, so he came to live with us too. Um, and then uh, I don't know how, but an agency got a hold of our name and called and said, there is a little girl that needs a home right now. Um, she is living in a children's hospital. She is failure to thrive. She was um, almost two years old and weighed 12 pounds. Wow. So 
Um, they said, this is urgent. This is not a, well, let's wait and see. We really need her, you know, to find a home. And so we said, okay. Uh, it was interesting because when we talked about these kind of things before, when we said, well, we're putting a, you know, a stop on this right now, we had said, we're not going to adopt anymore right now, but if we were to find a child, we wanted to be a girl because now we have two boys and one girl and we wanted to be the age of the younger child, you know, so that they would have somebody to play with because he was kind of the odd man out. And uh, we would want the child to be African-American. And this little girl um, was uh, six weeks older than our youngest child, African-American. Um, and a little girl. And so it was everything that we had, I don't know, in a foolish kind of way said, yeah, this is what we would want. And so God made it really evident. Yes, this child, you know, needs you. And, and so um, we adopted her. Our first child was uh, a, a place was placed with us, not because um, he had, he was born drug addicted, to a drug addicted mother, he underwent methadone treatments and he was in seven foster homes before we adopted him when he was three. So, and he had um, sickle cell disease. So he was a difficult placement um, for that agency. And so they agreed to the transracial adoption. That was not well received at that time. Um, I think things have eased up a little bit more that way, although it depends on the um, social worker, how they feel about that. Some people feel as if um, black children should be in black homes. Um, and I understand that for the, for the culture, but I have to say that while children wait for adoptive homes in foster care, they, they place them anywhere. So they will have, they could have um, you know, black foster parents or not, and their lives are passing them by while we seek a home for them. And so we felt as if um, a permanent home, um, a loving home was a better bet than waiting for a home that would open up uh, for an African-American family who might be willing to take him on. And the social worker was willing to place him. Um, when our second child, the one that I was just talking about, um, who was living in the children's hospital, um, she had been born prematurely to uh, a mom who was an alcoholic. Uh, so she was born with a large hole in her heart. And um, so they had her hospitalized. Um, the mom wanted to take care of her, but each time she came to the hospital and they would try to help her to see the kind of treatment that uh, the child needed, uh, the medication she needed to take on a regular basis, all of those kinds of things. She was not able to take that in because she was still dealing with her own addictions. And so finally they terminated rights. Um, but she had lived in the hospital all her life up to that point and was beginning to have failure to thrive. So she is a fetal alcohol child uh, with limitations, cognitive limitations. Um, very small, even now. Uh, kind of a small person, um, but super determined and uh, stood on her own as she came into our family of children. Um, 
she could take care of herself because she had always taken care of herself. Right. I mean, in a very real way. Yes. Yeah. So um, then let's see. Uh, So then we had four and he was still in seminary. And so we said, okay, till he's out of seminary, no more children. And um, then he finished seminary. And so then we heard of a little boy who needed a home with spina bifida. And so um, we adopted him. He was slightly younger than the other kids. And then I found out I was pregnant. That one wasn't planned, uh, but God knows what he's doing. Uh, so then we, so then we had a baby. Um, and then after that, we adopted an older child. Um, she was 11 when she came to us who also had spina bifida. And, um, so we sort of, in all these cases, we had to become a little bit of experts in whatever these things were that we were dealing with. Um, lots of medical, uh, appointments and uh, different hospitals where they were treated or followed, uh, things like that. So um, she came to us um, because uh, she was not, uh, her foster parents could not continue to take care of her and and they had had her for quite a while. Um, She was born in West Virginia. I mean, this sounds sounds like a Hallmark movie or something. She was born in West Virginia to a coal miner family. Um, When she was born with her significant handicaps, they didn't know what to do about it. There wasn't a lot of medical care where they were. And so they just kind of put her in a room by herself and left her. They fed her, they clothed her, but they didn't really interact with her much. And social services somehow found out about that and then removed her from the home uh, and placed her in foster care. Um, And so the foster mom had taken care of her since she was probably three or four, Um, but she was delayed in many ways. And then of course, all the physical things that went along with the the spina bifida. So, um, So she came to us when she was 11 Um, that was another interesting sort of situation because of course they get a a whole profile on your family, not just on you as a parent. And, um, when we, um, it was, you know, they're African-American children in the home. Um, they suggested that we, we had prepared a, a book for her to look at pictures of everybody and, you know, kind of get used to us and things like that. And um, they did not give her the book. Um, and they told us when we came for her not to bring the children because they felt that it would be a, just a huge issue in the small town where she was. So um, we complied. She got the book when she came to our house and she still you know, would go through it quite frequently and look at everybody's picture again. Um, so uh, after she came, so we had a baby, we, she came. And so by then, uh, you know, we were pretty full. Uh, we had a lot uh, to do and, and, you know, lots of fun with, with everybody. But um, there would be times when I would sit down to dinner and I would look around and I would say, somebody's missing. But everybody was there. 
And that was usually my call from God that it was time to adopt again. And um, before this, we were pretty involved in seeking out children who needed some help and uh, kind of our, our social worker was amenable to that. We had moved east. Um, we uh, were, were working with a county agency. They were very busy. They had a lot of cases. And so they didn't mind if we said, hey, we heard of a kid. Here's the information. Could you contact their social worker and see if they'd be willing to place that child with us? But by this time, I didn't have that in me to, to do all of that. I just didn't have time. And so I said, Lord, you're going to have to take over that part. If you want us to have a child, I'll call an agency and I'll say we're willing, but I, I can't do all the legwork anymore. And so we knew of a Christian agency in this area. We hadn't worked with a Christian agency before. And so we just called them and we said, hey, we've done adoption before. We're looking to adopt again. We've got a home study done. All you would have to do is come in and update it with information and get to know us a little bit. Um, and six weeks later, we had another child because they saw that as an easy way for a placement. And they also knew we were open to special needs adoptions. And that was something that they were struggling to place those children that they had in their care. And so our last three children came from came through that agency, Bethany Christian Services. Um, and um, so that was a little different um, because. They were interested in our faith. Uh, they were interested in, in knowing that about us. Whereas before that, that was something that was noted, but not really of any significance in, in the placements. Um, they were more interested in our relationship with each other, how we handled crisis, um, you know, things like that, that would help them know that, be a little more confident that uh, a difficult adoption wouldn't disrupt. Um, so that's when we came to, to 10 and by that time we were both four. And so that, that's kind of a ending point in, or at least back then it was, uh, and, or, or taking in much older kids. But by then we sort of felt like, yeah, this is it for us. You know, the Lord wasn't calling us to do any further. So we stopped there. Okay. So you. So Susie, I think you told me this before, but I want to make sure I understand this. You never like necessarily were, you adopted you know, like kids domestically, but it was out of the foster system, but you never fostered. Am I wrong? Or right. No. Go? Yeah, these children who were already um, ready for adoption, their parental rights had either been relinquished voluntarily or had been uh you know, taken away by the system. So there was never any question when they came to our home, whether they would be able to stay. Um, they, that was, that part of it was already all taken care of. We did do a little foster care, but it was a kind of a, a personal um, thing that we did without agencies where we knew of a situation and people would say, could you take like, for instance, um, my, my uh, brother-in-law. So we had him and there was no agency involved in that. That was just us saying to um, my mother-in-law, yeah, well, you know, we'll take him for a, a while and see how that goes. Um, we had heard of another child who um, 
was a, a child of domestic missionaries in Portugal. And um, he had been sent to the United States for uh, medical care because um, he was going deaf uh, because of multiple um, ear infections and they didn't have a very good uh, healthcare system over there. So they had been, they, he had been sent to the United States. He was here for a year or so and the people who were caring for him felt they couldn't continue to care for him and he needed to stay for continued care. Uh, and so he, he stayed with us then for another year, year and a half until his parents, um, until the situation with his ears had kind of settled and it was about as good as it was going to get. And then he went back with his parents um, in Portugal. So that little boy was, he was Down syndrome and he was pretty much deaf at that point and he was 12. So um, we weren't sure, you know, if, if we said, could you pick up your dirty clothes and put them in the hamper? If he didn't do it, we weren't sure. Did he not understand the English? Did he not hear us? Did he not want to do it because he was 12? You know, I mean, it was sort of unusual uh, situation. But um, yeah, that was that was kind of a, a fun experience, um, but a little briefer. Yeah. And then a family from our church, um, uh, the 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 woman in the family, her mother died suddenly and she had a teenage sister. And um, they were not able to like take care of her. So she came and lived with us. Um, so the poor thing had us as parents and then her sister and brother-in-law as parents. So she had four parents. Um, not sure that was great for her, but that we just kind of shared the, the duties there, but she lived in our home for a number of years until she graduated high school. Okay. So tell me, Susie, how did you and Will decide that like, it sounds like you've really gravitated towards special need adoptions and multiple special needs, different types. Mm -hmm. Was that part of the initial, like, I want to adopt and I also want to adopt special needs? Was that just always the plan or did that? Because uh, we began to really um, talk about the, um, the, the adoption, we realized that there were lots of people who were lining up for babies and young children um, and uh, Caucasian and, uh, you know, the, the, the children that would, they were the most uh, popular and, you know, they, they didn't have any trouble placing kids like that, but they had difficulty placing um, children who had uh, physical disabilities, mental disabilities, emotional disabilities. And so um, we said, well, we are able to have children. We've had that experience. We don't need to have that experience again. We don't need a, a newborn placed in our home. Other people might want that experience. It's a wonderful experience, you know? So, uh, so we said, yeah, we, we would be willing to take these other kids on. I, I trained as an elementary school teacher. So um, I, and I taught for a number of years before I stopped to raise a family. So I knew about kids with special needs. I did, you know, as I said, I've, I've always had a heart for them. And so um, that was just something that seemed logical to us. And it wasn't a huge decision on our part or something where we felt worried or concerned, you know, how would we handle it? Um, maybe we should have been a little more worried or concerned, but we were not worried. Well, <laughs> that's fine. 
Oh man. So okay. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's great. You you and Will were on the same page then when you you went for it. It sounds like you both were. Yeah. Like we're gonna do this, and that's how it's gonna go. That's right. Um, right. Uh, so with all those special needs and trauma and different issues, what are some of the challenging parts of either how you adopted or who you adopted or what has gone on in your home, you know, or with your biological children? Has there been struggles that way? Tell me sure. about that. I think that uh, there is there is a difference between adopting a a special needs child and birthing a, a special needs child. Um, and part of that has to do with the fact that first of all, you have at least a little idea of that this is going to be challenging and you can read up on it and say, do I choose this or do I not? If you birth a special needs child, you didn't get a choice, nobody asked you. and um, you might feel somehow, even though it would be unfounded, you might feel somehow responsible for that uh, special need that they have. And that's usually not the case. It's nothing you've done. It's nothing, uh, you know, oh, if I just hadn't done this or that. Uh, no, it's not that. But so you're dealing with a whole lot of different emotions than you are when you bring a child in and you say, well, here's what we got. We're going to go with that. Um, doesn't, sometimes it doesn't make it easier, but it is a different starting place, if you will. Um, and so I, I think that made it a little more doable for us. Um, I always felt as if the doctors that, um, that I worked with respected me. And so... I felt I could ask questions and they would honestly answer them. They, they never treated me as if, well, just do what I say and don't ask me why. Um, but it, it always helped me to know why. And so I would ask why. Sometimes I would make up something in my head like, well, it's probably this is why. But honestly, for me to go through some of the things that I had to do for them, the way I had to care for them, um, I had to know why. What, well, you know, what, what's the difference and why does this matter? And, and I always felt as if I had that and I, I had their support. Um, and, and so that was, that was a great thing too. Um, so yeah, we, we always thought special needs and, and of course, sometimes you, you, when you read the profile, it's, this is the issue when you look that up and you say, oh yeah, I think I can handle that. But living with it is a different thing. And, like and that's, that. that is, uh, you know, you go back and you think, why did I think I could do this? And, and you read it and you go, oh, see, I didn't see that. I, I tend to read all the positive things and remember those and yep. not remember things that are there. And so then it's like, oh yeah, they didn't lie to me. It was here. Yeah. Uh, uh, but also I think that often you talked about trauma when we were adopting, that was not a word. I mean, oh. it was a word, but I mean, it was not applied right. to people. Sure. And so some of the things that you would look at the situation and you would say, well, okay, this child has this handicap, but they've only been in one foster home and they're not very old. And 
you know, this is a positive experience. So I think all of the adjustment, that'll be pretty easy or doable. And it would be amazing to see how it was not very easy. And sometimes it wasn't even the child who was coming into the family, but somebody else whose nose got out of joint because they felt as if their place, whatever that might be, was usurped. So often it's the youngest one, right? Because they're not the baby anymore. But sometimes it was somebody else for whatever reason, you know, and sometimes you couldn't even figure out what was the reason that they were so upset and out of joint because this new person came in. Um, and it was always a process getting everybody comfortable again, getting every everybody in place. It took time. Um, so that you can't be foolish and think this will just be real easy snap. It'll, it'll happen. I know you've adopted and you, I'm sure you've found that as well. Yes, definitely. That's interesting that you mentioned the uh, idea of, oh, they didn't lie to me. Cause I think there were, anyway, Evan and Poppy both had cleft palettes. Evan's was very extensive. Um, and I don't know if I just like, oh, well, kind of like you said, you read the file and go, I mean, there'll be maybe a surgery or two or, you know, whatever. And I, I didn't realize that, or I guess I didn't process all the way through that it was going to mean speech therapy and it was going to mean occupational therapy and it was going to mean on multiple trips to the children's hospital. And it was, I mean, like all those things yeah. that you just, I don't know, either I was, I, I mean, I was blissfully ignorant, but yes, I too kind of like, ah, it'll probably be fine. And then it's a lot more than I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad you brought that out. That was, that was really good. So just the challenges of maybe coming, um, not necessarily realizing how much was entailed in each of these uh, special needs that that sounds like it would be a challenge for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then everybody kind of finding their place again. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> what are the best parts of your adoption experience or having adopted children? Um, it, it's always exciting to, to see the kids, how they interact and sort of pick up the needs that, you know, that are shown. Um, the more kids you have, mom can't do everything, right? Mom can't kiss every boo-boo. Mom can't put every Band-Aid on. And um, it was exciting to see because they were, for a long time, they were very close in age. Um, when, I had, when I had my third child, she made six under the age of six, six and under. Uh -huh. So um, when they came to visit me in the hospital, there are pictures of them with their little, they put little gowns on them, you know, and, and all of them sitting on my bed, looking at the baby. And um, so, you know, mom can't do everything and they learn to care for each other. And, and I think that that's, you know, that was a, a very gratifying thing. Um, our biological kids uh, just sort of assimilated that the color of the skin really did not matter at all to them. Um, I find to young children, generally, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and so they, even at school, 
uh, one time in chapel, I talked about my family and I, 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 you know, I, I just, I don't remember what story I told, but I, you know, I talked about them and I said, if you would, anybody would like to see a picture of my kids, you, I have one in my office. You can come and visit me in my office and come see it. So one of the teachers gave a bunch of the kids a, a chance to come down to my office and see. So I pulled out the picture. So they're looking at it. So we've got all shades of brown and, you know, and, and tan and white and, and everything. And so they're looking at it and they're, they're chattering about it. And one of them says, which ones are adopted? Wow. And I thought, yeah, I what that. does it matter? Does mean, it it really matter? <laughs> and my, yeah, our, our one biological son who is super gregarious. I mean, just, you know, always looking for people to play with and, and everything like that. And, um, when we announced, when we, we got a family uh, meeting together and we, we were going to tell him that I was expecting a baby, you know, so, um, first of all, he was so disappointed because he thought we were having the family meeting because we were getting a dog. So oh. he was really disappointed with that. So then later they were at the dinner table and they were talking and they were saying, well, I hope it's a girl. I hope it's a boy, you know how they do. And, um, and so he said, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl, but I hope he's going to be black. And I said, well, he's not. And he said, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> oh, mercy. That's so good. <laughs> uh, you know, oh, dear. When his friends would come over to the house for a play date when he was little, he would, you know, they'd be having a grand old time and he would say, are you having fun? And they would say, yeah. And he'd say, do you want us to adopt you? <laughs> we can't do that. Why? We <laughs> already have a mom and dad, so we're not going to do that. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> what a scream. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, That's hysterical. Yeah. You know, I, there are people, there have been people who have asked me, and one point blank in exactly this way, how could you do this to your children? Um, and I always felt as if I was doing something great for them because they would learn that the world is made up of people who don't look like me, who may not act like me, who may not be able to do all of the things I can do. They may not be able to walk. They may not be able to understand or learn to read, but everybody's valuable and everybody counts. And in a family, that's how it is. Everybody's valuable and everybody counts. And so I felt as if I was giving them a great opportunity to see that in action, yeah. that that's how they should treat everybody that they met in their lives. It wasn't just a lesson or a book they read. They lived it every day. I agree with you. I just, <laughs> I was just talking with a friend about that as well. The idea that it is you can learn yeah, obviously from books and such but when you live when you live it it just turns everything on its head and makes it very real mm -hmm. so I, I agree with you absolutely uh so Susie how have you and will you know how have you walked with Christ differently or how has this affected your walk with Christ I, I think that initially our thought was maybe not quite this bombastic, but we're great, we're capable, and we can do this. And we found out very early on 
that we weren't nearly as great as we thought we were. And while we thought we were doing a great thing for these children that we were providing a family, they were really doing a great thing for us in pointing out how weak and sinful we were and allowing us then to really get to know Christ and rely on him more because there's just no way that you could handle all the things that come in these situations without leaning on Christ. And I know there are people who adopt and, and who do it without Christ, but I could not have done so. Two of our children um, have already gone on to heaven before us. Um, the first child that we adopted, um, his, uh, his mental health issues proved to be much greater um, than even his sickle cell, which in and of itself was, of course, a huge thing to deal with. Um, and eventually he had to be removed from our home and um, was in special care. Um, he would go along and do well for a while. We always were in touch with him. We visited him regularly wherever he was, uh, including jail. And he would get into a bad situation. And, uh, and finally, he was in jail for about a year. And in jail, he did not receive the medical treatment that he needed. Um, I had people from his, uh, you know, from his area of the jail using their money to call me and say, they are not taking care of him. He is really sick. You need to do something. He, you know, and there's nothing you can do. I can call, I can file a complaint. Um, anyway, he did not receive the care he needed. And so his health really deteriorated. And um, so when he came out of jail and he was living in the community, um, in, you know, a special community arrangement, um, he would get sick frequently and have to go to the hospital, which is not unusual for people with sickle cell. And um, one day when he was 24, a pulmonary embolism broke loose and stopped his heart. Oh so um, it was just boom, there it was. Um, so he, well, he was 24. And then our daughter that we adopted when she was 11, um, when she uh, turned around 2021, 20, the physical, she, she was much more involved physically uh, besides just not being able to walk. There were many other things that went into this, uh, the uh, spina bifida. And um, she just got really ill and was basically um, bedridden for three years. Um, and then she died um, when she was 24. So they actually died within like 18 months of each other. Um, one slowly and, you know, and then one quite rapidly. Um, so they have, you know, they've already gone on. That was, you know, those things were difficult. Absolutely. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a sort of a logical thinking person. Uh, and you, when you, when it stops you in the, in the moment, but you have to say to yourself, how would I have expected anything else? They, you know, while, while my daughter was, you know, at struggling those last three years and, and everything. And I said to the doctors, how much longer do you think she has? And they said, she is far surpassed what we thought she would ever do. Thanks to the fact that she lived with you in a family that makes such a difference than putting a child into a nursing home or a, you know, a special place like that. And so, um, you know, they, they said, we don't know, but 
we shouldn't really expect, you know, much more than what she had. So, yeah. That, I guess I didn't realize that you had lost two of them already. That's also very intense. I, so Susie, do you ever get this question where people say, I guess maybe you alluded to the answer to this, but I'm curious what you say to people if they say, like, why, why would you bother, if you will? What, why would you bother with, with kids who have multiple issues or isn't that too taxing on you? Or why do you have so many? Or, you know, those kinds of questions. Is there anything that you say to them that, like, your reason behind going this direction with adoption? Well, um, I know that one thing um, is that um, Will and I are definitely pro-life and we believe that um, a child is a child from the moment of conception. And so then the logical next step is if we want everyone to have these babies, then we better be ready to take the babies where the women are saying, I can't do this. My circumstances are such, or the circumstances that led to this child are such that I cannot parent this child. That's the logical next step. Um, it's all well and good to say abortion is wrong, but then what do we do about these children? And uh, so, you know, that was the reason. And I guess we have so many is because there are still so many that need homes. And so we felt as if, until we got to the place where God said, okay, that's enough for you. Um, then we, we just kept going. And I think that it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't always easy, uh, you know, to, to start the, the process again and, and do it again. It was always exciting, you know, it, it's always exciting, but uh, there would come a point at which I would say, Oh boy, I think I've made a mistake this time. You know, there would be that, that there is so much more I have to learn about this child and, you know, all those kinds of things. But the Lord always brought us through that. Um, and I think because we saw that, you know, as, as we saw each child, we saw promise and we saw hope for them. And so it gave us courage to say, okay, well, here's another one, you know, we, there's promise and hope for that one as well. Um, so we just, yeah, we just kept going. Um, people don't really ask me why so many, um, okay. but why, why, why at all? Um, I don't think that they're callous, but I think that they, they do just look at themselves and say, how do I view myself and what are my strengths and how much energy do I have and how would this be possible? And they can't imagine it. Um, and, and yeah, that's true because if you only look at yourself, you, you know, how, how weak you can be and how tired you can get. And you think, well, this wouldn't work at all, you know? And so it's easy to put it aside. Um, once they're in the home, you find a way, right? You have to yep. find a way. So uh, that's where you really rely on the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what, you know, what is it going to take? And it doesn't mean you don't ask for help. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, you don't seek out some, uh, you know, um, services for them or, you know, what they need. But um, 
Yeah. You have to trust the Lord that if he opened this door and he placed this child, then that is that that is reason enough and that that I don't look back. I I know people sometimes will say, you know, if we just hadn't, um I I can't do that. I can't say if we just hadn't, because I I really truly believe that God placed each one of these here. Because I also said, Lord, if this is not to be, just close the door. And there was a child that we were presented with who was just had whew, significant issues, but I was all on board. I was excited. This was it. I was going to get this baby. And um, I went out to visit her where she was living. And the mom sat and talked to me. And I don't know why I thought, oh, yeah, I could do this because this mom was just involved with this child like 24 um, seven. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I got in the car to come home. And the Lord said, this is not your child. And I just cried all the way home. And I said, but Lord, who is going to take this child? And he said, this is, that's not your worry. This is not your child. That's very encouraging to know that, you know, <clears throat> I think that speaks to, you know, your personal relationship with Jesus that, you know, it's, it's like, well, this, not this one. And he does do that. You know, there are, it's not, it's not like it's just an open door and he, he's really, he's really personal in placing children and families. It's not just open the door and they all just show up. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that probably at your house. But anyway, um, I do love that though. <laughs> that is really great. And I also just love the fact that you said, you know, you and Will are pro-life, you know, that's where your stand is. Um, and then you said, well, then the logical next step is what happens to all these children that are born into circumstances where their parent can't take care of them? Well, <laughs> then if you're pro-life, you need to be willing to help, help out with these children that are born. So right. I really love, really love that you threw that out there. <laughs> um, so if someone was considering Susie your your circumstance and saying, wow, I, I guess I didn't know you could do that. Or I didn't, a lot of the people that I talked to, either they fostered and then it ended up in an adoption or, <laughs> you know, they've adopted internationally, whatever. It has been more of a, I don't want to say cut and dried, but not your circumstance really, where they've right. pursued a child that is legally ready for adoption, but it is not a baby. Anyway, um, so what would you say to people who are potentially considering that? Yeah, I mean, I, I recognize that I was adopting these kids 30 years ago, you know, 40 years ago. So things may have changed. And so I, I thought about that question because you had given it to me first. And I, I don't want to give real specific, here's how you go about it, because how we went about it was a little odd at the beginning, too, when we were looking for our own children. Yes. <laughs> and hooking them up, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I would say it, to many of the adoption agencies, Catholic, uh, Catholic Social Services, uh, Bethany Christian Services, there's another one called Child Life or something like that, I think, in our area, but you probably have different ones in your own areas, um, is to go to them because often they will have um, 
introductory meetings where you just come and what does it take to adopt? Like, what's the process I will have to go through? It will involve a home study. And that's where they come. And I don't mean like, do you have a really, really nice home? Um, what they want to know is, do you have a home where you could have a child? You know, uh, is there a room? The child doesn't have to have their own room, or at least they didn't used to, uh, but they do have to have their own bed. Um, so would you be able to manage that? Um, financially, are you capable of, you know, raising another child? Um, clearly, they didn't look at us too carefully because we were both um, in Christian school teachers, which oh. doesn't pay. A no, no. Um, they ask us, Do you have enough money? We go, yeah. They go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> they, they needed a place, but they were not going to be super picky about this, you know, um, but, but it is good. And it's it, usually they give other parents, a, a, you know, who've adopted a chance to talk um, and, and kind of tell you what their experience has been. Um, and often uh, they will put people in kind of cohort groups now. And so you will have this group that will follow you through the whole process. And so you come together regularly and you talk about, okay, well, I got this filled out, but this wasn't filled out or those kind of things. I know you did international adoption, so I don't know how that differs from, you know, what you did or the agencies that you used. Um, Bethany Christian Services does domestic adoptions. They do international adoptions at a bunch of different countries. And I don't know which ones, so I'm not going to say what I think. I, I don't know. but um, And uh, they will also tell you about how much the process is going to cost because there is a cost involved. Um, if you take special needs children, usually they waive the fees. Um, and uh, then there's also the lawyer's fees for the actual adoption process, going to court, filing the paperwork, you know, bringing it in uh, to the end uh, point. Um, so I, I think those kinds of experiences are good um, because they, they help you to see other people are struggling with this as well. Um, our, our story is, is not typical, obviously, and, and different too, because we were both on the same page. So I can't address, you know, people who have qualms about it. And that those, those are legitimate. And they, they come from a variety of places, might come from your family, if there was some family situation, could come from your culture at large. Um, I know for us, um, my side of the family was pretty open to children of different races and, and everything. And my husband's, his mom was, his mom and dad are divorced. His dad definitely was not. And so we were estranged from him for quite a number of years because he was not only not, in other words, not like, I'm not a fan of this, but okay. He was outspokenly against it and we did not feel like we wanted our adopted children to be around him and feel that because he would send gifts and money to the biological children and nothing to the others. Um, and so we would, we would just make up things and like we would buy presents and say they were from grandpa you know, um, at the other birthdays, just to make sure that nobody felt like, how come he doesn't like me? Like, what's wrong with me? Um, 
I think that just the most amazing thing to me was that he, he did come around somewhat. And, and so we were re- able to reestablish a relationship with him. And by that time, the kids were also older. Um, and I think that they could see some of the favoritism, but they were not as hurt by it. Um, but in the last years of his life, he came to live in our home because he was unable to care for himself. And for the last, that, that last couple years, his best friend was our little African-American girl who, uh, the second child who uh, was in the hospital, you know, for the first 18, she would, she would sit with him every day while we were out at work and watch TV with him and talk to him. And that's all he had. And at that point, I, I wonder what was going on in his mind, you know, uh, about how he had treated you know, some of the kids and things like that, because she was his best friend at that point. Um, That's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful and sort of heart-wrenching, I guess, all in the same way, but, um, it, you know, it just, anyway, that's such a, I love that, I guess, that she was, I know she didn't necessarily, you kind of had shielded your adopted children yeah. from his... <laughs> He was cognitively delayed. So I mean, okay. while she could, you know, she was really not super aware of, you know, uh, things that, that maybe would have not passed by somebody else, they would get past her. But by then he didn't have any choice and he was kind to her. I mean, he was not unkind to her at that point, but just, I wonder what went on in his mind as he thought about earlier and the thoughts and things, you know, that he had and said and and those kinds of things and I, I was just thankful to the lord for for that opportunity for him to to maybe realize something that he might not have realized otherwise absolutely absolutely Susie, and also i guess i didn't i didn't think to ask you this as we were considering how we were gonna talk about things but i am curious as you consider like you started adopting in the 80s am i wrong um let's see 76 uh yeah end of the 70s or 80s yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah so I feel like you got you and Will were sort of uh somewhat of an anomaly in even in Christendom if you will (laughs) um I don't remember I mean I grew up in in the church and I don't remember meeting a lot of families who were adopting or fostering at Mm -hmm. that point I feel like there's more that I'm meeting now how did you deal with that was it was it even more challenging because of being sort of a lone ranger if you will yeah um I guess uh I I didn't really think about it that much. I, I know that several families from our church did begin to foster and adopt, uh, you know, based on the fact that um, we were doing it and it seemed to be, you know, going well. Um, and we, for a while, we ran a, um, a uh, an adoption uh, kind of group for people who were interested in adoption and trying to help them get hooked up with agencies and, and things like that. Um, 
to, to try to share what we knew and, and help them out, uh, you know, to, to get started in the process because it's not always easy. Uh, I remember when we were starting um, and I was calling agencies that were just in the phone book. Now we were in Western Pennsylvania in a rather rural area. So um, there was not definitely not a lot of stuff going on out there with this, but um, you know, when I would call and I would explain and, and more than once uh, a social worker would say to me, are you able to have children? And I would say, yes. And they would say, well, then that's what you should do. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was sort of more of a journey figuring out how to get started. And that's why we tried to help other people because we figured they were having the same issues of, you know, I'm interested in adopting, but I have no idea how to get started with this. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. but I don't know. Uh, it didn't bother me that I was the only person doing it. I had friends who had children, my, you know, my kids ages. And so we just hung out together or whatever. So it didn't feel odd. Okay. All right. I was curious about that little piece. Uh, well, Susie, as we wrap, wrap it up here, do you have anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to either a thought you want to leave with people or um, anything that maybe we didn't talk about? that you would like to throw out to everybody? I think, I, I think it would be that adoption um, is hard. It's just hard. And sometimes we romanticize it and we think, gee, what a wonderful thing. That is so great. And maybe as Christians, and I have to say, I'm guilty of this. I think if I step out there and I'm doing something great for God, he's going to make it easy for me to do it and he and I have had quite a number of talks about hey you see what I'm doing here could you not just you know give me a little help and make this easier and that's just not the way it goes but he does make it possible but the idea of adoption is that you're giving a child a chance a chance that he wouldn't have because he has a family and he has somebody in his court. He has, somebody has his back, but it doesn't mean that every one of them is going to be able to fully take advantage of that. It's not always a happily ever after. Um, our kids have had many struggles. You know, some of them came through pretty unscathed. Uh, some of them really had a lot of struggles. Um, and some of that was their handicaps, but some of it was also the trauma that they had experienced or just that feeling that handicapped kids or, or excuse me, adopted kids have of why did my mother not keep me? You can make up the best story you want. You can, you know, you can have a story from the agency that says this mother was only 14 when she had this child. She could not, you know, could not care for that child. And you can, you can tell a good story and you can do the, um, your mom gave you life. That was her gift to you. And, uh, you know, and the Lord gave you our family, but something inside of them says, what was wrong with me? Moms keep their kids. Moms love their kids. So what was wrong with me? And it's not their fault. You know what I mean? Uh, our first son always was asking, um, well, why didn't my mom love me? And he was, he had 
so much trauma from the seven foster homes and everything. When he was in counseling, um, he, when he was only seven <clears throat> at the time. And the social worker, I mean, the counselor came out and she said, this is what he said today. I said to him, why do you think you were adopted? And he said, because I was a bad baby and I cried too much and I wouldn't stop. And so somebody else had to take me because my mom couldn't take care of a bad baby. So nobody said that to him. Nobody ever said that to him. You know, that was his story. That's the story he made up. So he was never fully able to take advantage of what we were trying to offer him. Um, and some of them can, and some of them can't, but it isn't easy, but it's definitely worth it. And if God is calling you to do it, then don't hesitate, do it because he will enable you to, uh, learn and grow and become a very different person than you would have been had you not adopted. Can you agree with that? Oh, my word. Every day of the week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. And I only have six and only two of them are adopted. <laughs> but <laughs> I oh, wholeheartedly agree with you, Susie. That is 100% the truth. That you really do become someone you just can't even. I think there are times when I, you know, look back you know, even a few years and think, I, I can't believe what God has even done in my own heart and, right. and how he can rub away and get rid of, you know, just some of the selfishness and some of the impatience and some of the, you know, these <laughs> working on me, but I just don't think I would have been put in those situations if I, if I hadn't had to, you know, work through some things, especially with my adopted kids, but, you know, children in general will do that to you. <laughs> Um, yep. yes that's how it is oh Susie thank you it's been so good to 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 chat with you to hear your story and it's so encouraging I love that you just said you know if God's calling you then don't hesitate just like just do it <laughs> do it it's not going to be easy so don't pretend it's going to be but just do it you have to do it <laughs> that's yeah. right that's right. Good. Oh, well, thank you, Susie. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. Thank you for listening to this conversation from the BRV. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and that it inspires you to live out your own brave story.